So You Think You Want to Work in TV is brought to you by you. That's right. You guys support this podcast, and I rely on your donations to keep this train a-going. So please go to so you think you want to work in TV.com, click on that upper left-hand corner where it says donate, and make a one-time donation, or visit our Patreon and become a monthly subscriber where you will absolutely get exclusive content. So uh, become a supporter, won't you? You know you want to. How are you? Oh, great. Great. I'm fine. Uh, I'm exhausted. Uh, You guys, this is an old episode that I rebooted because I just, I felt like these stories needed to be retold. So a friend of mine was a producer on Naked and Afraid. It was her dream gig. She was so excited when she got the job. She was tweeting about it. She was Facebooking about it. The location was in Panama. And on their last scout, like they scouted the locations where they were going to set the people to be naked and afraid. And on the last scout, the day before they were supposed to start shooting the episode, she and the crew got attacked by Africanized killer bees and she almost died. It is a crazy story. First of all, here's what I didn't know about killer bees and what Mickey informs us of in the episode is that they call them killer bees because they don't stop stinging you until you die. I thought they called them killer bees because they died after they stung you. No, the colony keeps stinging you until you are dead. I mean, this is a fucking horror story. She's to this day. It uh, this podcast was originally released in 2015, I believe. It was like a few years ago that I recorded with her. She's still going to the hospital and getting shots to become immune to bee venom. It's crazy, crazy story. So be grateful. This is one of those stories where you'll go, "Hmm, do I want to work in TV? No, no, I don't." I, I'll I'll just keep watching it, but I'm not going to do it. So, you know, word to the wise, be careful when you take a job uh, shooting stuff in the wilderness. It might not work out so well. Enjoy my chat with Mickey Ramos. She's worked on Slednecks. She's worked on tons of great reality shows. She's worked on Sled- Slednecks, Buck Wild, Beverly Hills Pond, Paradise Hotel, remember that shit show? That was amazing. Beauty and the Geek, uh, and one of my favorite shows of all time, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, MXC, which was on Spike. And she also worked on one of my favorite shows, Naked and Afraid. Please welcome Mickey Ramos. Hello, and thank you very much for having me, Sharon. I'm glad you're here. Um, okay, so I met Mickey. We A long time ago, we worked at this dot-com during the first dot-com surge called Comedy World, and I... Was I wrote copy for the site and down the, you know, it was like, it was set up like a big trailer park in a warehouse and come, this girl comes walking by and I'm like, oh my God, that looks like Mickey Ramos from Call If You Dare, my favorite <laughs> TV show on public access. I remember and I walked up to you and I was like, are you on Call If You Dare? And you went, yes. And I was like, oh my God, it's the best show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, first I would thank you because it's just to have anybody notice a public access show and actually admit that they watched the show <laughs> was fantastic. So whereas I may have made your day, you absolutely made my day. Uh, but yeah, Call If You Dare was a uh, live public access show that I did in the late 90s, which actually launched my career. Uh, and yeah, before the days of YouTube. So you had to actually work to put together a TV show and a- actually take physical tapes to locations around town so that they would run the show for you. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just a uh, mishmash of just a bunch of shit from the neighborhood. I had a bunch of little kids in my neighborhood, so I'd make short videos with them. Uh, the Ghetto Brady Bunch was one. Cause I had a bunch of <laughs> Mexican kids living in the apartment across from me. I was like, how can I use these kids? Uh, the kids became mini celebrities around uh, Venice, and it helped me. <clears throat> it helped me to stop waiting tables and actually have a television career. It, it was so great because the whole conceit of the show is call if you dare, and so. The one episode that I remember that I have on VHS, because I recorded it, (laughs) it's you and a guy dressed up like Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. (laughs) 
and you guys oh. and then you guys would put this behind the green screen just some weird psychedelic stuff and you're just bobbing your heads to <laughs> and you're to everlast and then asking people to call and people will call and go hey go fuck yourself and then you guys would say no fuck you okay next caller <laughs> yeah it was stupid and you know that particular episode came because a friend of mine just decided to shave his head and he happened to look like travis bickle the character from taxi driver so i was like we gotta do something with his haircut <laughs> so what do we do so we turned it into a call if you dare episode he looks nothing like robert nothing De Niro. he just had but the hair <laughs> he just had the hair but we uh we brought a phone book on with us and called it his manifesto <laughs> and we just had him sit there and be like a crazy guy and yeah we took phone calls for half an hour on live television it just made no sense but somehow people were entertained by it it was amazing it's one of the greatest <laughs> things i've ever seen in my life oh god but it was good i mean we were doing something you know yeah. we were making content i'd say out of the 23 and a half minutes maybe eight of it was actually <laughs> truly entertaining but you know we got eight minutes out of it and yeah. that's what that's what this whole business is about it's just about being creative yeah, and making making decent content that people will watch. So, okay, so I was asking Mickey when she got here. I'm like, I didn't, you know, I said, oh, I didn't know you worked on this and that. And uh, I forgot about Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, which is the greatest show. Oh. Every night I would watch it, smoke a little weed, make some air pop popcorn, laugh my ass off. Yeah, I got a job working for this company, RC Entertainment, doing something completely different and uh, saw on their wall pictures from MXC. And I said, wait a minute, what what's your relationship with that? They said, well, we produced that show. And I lost my shit. I was like, what? I love that show. It's the greatest show. Yeah, I used to get high and sit and watch that just yeah. like everybody else did back then. And then when I found out that RC Entertainment produced that, I did everything I could to get my foot in the door. I was their script supervisor. I would go in and run their teleprompter. I'd finish all my work for the shitty show I was doing for, for Game Show Network. And then I would uh, just stick my head in on the writers. And they were all a bunch of groundlings. They were just fun to be around. It was just a great vibe. Yeah, that was just one of those few moments in my career where the fire was lit. And I was like, no matter what, I am going to figure out a way and force myself onto this show. And it worked. I ended up becoming the post-production supervisor, got to do voices. Uh, they used my name as a couple of characters on the show. <laughs> nice. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's, that's one of the high points of my career, I have to say. MXC, yeah, right you are, Ken. Yep, awesome. Such a great show. And you know, the, the writing was so good. It, oh. doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that a bunch of groundlings were writers. Yeah, it was spot on. It was just a funny place to be. I mean, there was lots of cussing. It was just a free form place of creativity that, that I haven't really been able to work in since. And it was, it was just awesome. Unfortunately, Wipeout stole the format and <laughs> is now very successful on ABC. But it's MXC, not nearly as funny. No, no. It's not funny at all, actually. <laughs> Sorry. No, MXC is what is what started all, and it was fantastic. I only hope I could have a, a, another job like that. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's weird. It seems like more and more it's lightning in a bottle when you're, like, creatively fulfilled and you like everyone you work with, and you're just, you're like, yes, this is why I got into the business. Yeah, and that's completely so totally rare. I mean, we're always looking for the creative situation, but, yeah, lightning in a bottle. There's only been a few shows throughout my career that have actually been those lightning in a bottle, and some of them that have been great to shoot – absolute shit on television but they were fun crew situations so it's mm. just this business is just uh, it's getting it's getting weird <laughs> it's getting weird you guys it's, it's yeah this business has definitely changed a lot since i started in it in about early 2000s i mean there's still those moments that it's just like it's the greatest place to be and i wouldn't change it for a million bucks but some days when you're looking for a job and you've got 20 people turning you down, you're just like, oh, why didn't I become an accountant? Yeah, no, same here. Why didn't I become a travel agent? Or why didn't I become <laughs> I don't anything, anything else? Um, okay, so I want to talk about Buck Wild because I didn't know that you worked on the season when – uh, things, Shane. Yeah, Shane went to went to heaven. Yeah, uh, that was season two, Buckwild season two. It was. Uh, we're coming up on the third year anniversary of that, actually. Uh, yeah, I was stoked to be working on Buckwild because it was the new uh, Jersey Shore <clears throat> out in West Virginia. Shithole, by the way. Sorry for any of you people listening in West Virginia, but your state sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think isn't Blacksburg? No, Blacksburg is Virginia. Ugh. Charleston is in West Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah. Charleston is it West really Virginia. bad? It's just there's no hope there. Yeah, there they have just, a huge heroin problem. Meth too. The kids on the show, the cast members would point out all the different trailers that we'd drive past every day and say, "That's a meth house. That's a meth house." Just a very depressing place. But, you know, working on the show, super cool. Uh, however, we used to have to take security with us everywhere. 
armed security because we were often greeted by people uh, with shotguns, uh, people who didn't care for us being there because they thought that we portrayed West Virginia in a negative light. How that's possible, I'm not sure because, again, (laughs) West Virginia sucks. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, uh, Easter Sunday three years ago, 2013, uh, Shane Gandy, the star of the show, went missing and didn't show up for the Monday call where we were supposed to start filming. And uh, we ended up sending out a search party. Uh, but the search party quickly became a uh, holy shit, Shane's dead. Uh, within two two hours of us starting the search party, someone found his red Bronco submerged in mud. And they opened the door and realized he nor the other two people in the Bronco with him were breathing. And uh, I was sitting down at the bottom of the hill with our casting person, Sammy Joe, and they walkied us and, and said, uh, no one's moving inside the, the car. I said, what, mm. do you, what do you mean no one's moving? You know, because this kid was 21, bigger than life, and you just don't think of someone that young and someone that full of life that something like this could happen. I mean, you joke about it because the kid's doing crazy shit all the time, but you just don't think that, uh, you know, this kid died doing what he loved, mudding, you know, and it was just a freak accident. It was still cold in West Virginia at the time, so they had their windows up on their their uh, Bronco uh, when the tailpipe of the Bronco got submerged in mud. And Shane, I think, did what he does. Oh, you know, whenever he gets stuck like that, he just gunned it, gunned the engine and tried to get himself out of this hole. But I think that caused all the carbon monoxide to come back into the car. And they were drunk and high, so they probably just figured they were tired and they'd sleep it off. And just went to sleep and never, never woke up again. It still blows my mind. If they just cracked that window an inch, they'd still be alive. But, I mean, 21 years old. Shane was 21 and died. And it just, it gutted me. It gutted me. I I still think of it to this day. It's awful. It's the worst. It's the worst because I was up on the hill with his mom, you know, when they were bringing his body down past the house. And she's, his mom is shouting at the hills, just, Shane! just a mom losing her son it, it, and I was trying to you know be the MTV representative up on that hill along with him just to be there and I was just crying it was just horrible when I finally finished my day I got back to the hotel where the whole crew was staying and I just uh, the first person I found I just crumpled in her arms and I was just crying it was just awful uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> these jobs can be so emotional, and that was just, that's one of the worst days I've had. Well, that's the thing. When you work with a regular cast, you, you know, you become friendly with them. I wouldn't say we become a family. I think that happens more with, like, scripted shows, but you do become close to them, and you do care about their well-being, and you develop relationships with their families. And when bad things happen, it's like, it really, it's, it, it, it almost seems surreal, because you're like, wait a second, I was just... They were supposed to be, we were supposed to be rolling at 10 a.m. We yeah. were, we had this really fun, we, last night we talked about this really funny thing we were going to shoot. And then it's just very strange. Yeah, it still blows my mind. You know, the kid would be 24 this year. And I'm like, 24 is still too young to, yeah. to, to die. And it's just, yeah, you do. You become really, really intertwined in these people's lives. And I'm still friends with the majority of people, cast members that I've, I've worked with over the years. Because you do, you just get so so intertwined in their lives and it's great i love it i love it i love working reality television i really do so uh speaking of working reality television you got to have some crazy stories about paradise hotel paradise hotel was like kind of like the bachelor in a sense but people were put in a hotel to hook up but they were engaged (laughs) but then they would put temptation or was that temptation island no this was the precursor this was during the time when they had all those shows where they're trying to put people together to just make them hook up right yeah, this one was, uh, the motto of Paradise Hotel was hook up or check out. Uh, <laughs> fuck or leave. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was uh, a bunch of hot 20-year-olds in a gorgeous property in Manzanillo, Mexico. And uh, add liquor, uh, sun, take off your clothes, and just watch what happens. Right. And... Uh, Well, the funny thing was, is we were shooting during hurricane season because it was cut rate, cheaper rent on the property. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, The the networks aren't making money, Mickey. They're not making any money. (laughs) They got to cut back. 
So, of course, there was a hurricane during it. It wasn't a huge one, but there were times when we had to just all of a sudden get everybody out of there because a hurricane was hitting while we were trying to film in paradise. In paradise. Yeah. Uh, fun, though. That was another fun crew situation. I mean, that's really where the show is, is watching the crew film these things, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a uh, funny side note, the pool uh, that they swam in daily during Paradise Hotel got so polluted that these kids ended up with rashes <laughs> and all kinds of gross shit that they had to go to the hospital for, like, after the show. Really? To, yeah, like skin conditions and stuff. Did they not test the chlorine or something? Or? It was because of the hurricane yeah. and the water pH and everything was just constantly off. And God knows how much they were peeing in that pool because yeah. they were just drinking constantly. So it was just gnarly. And, <laughs> and they had to get, like, yeah, they had, like, skin conditions after the filming. <laughs> that's almost worse than getting gonorrhea oh because people can see it <laughs> i think gonorrhea is definitely you can keep that shit to yourself oh man but uh, that was a good one manzanillo mexico uh we bought weed from the uh local pas who drove us off in the middle of nowhere we were excited about hey we're doing something crazy or hey are we about to be beheaded <laughs> uh but yeah just fun all the way around the shoot was fun the cast was fun except for the pool everything was cool Oh, nice. I bought uh, weed from a, well, it wasn't me. It was a group of us bought weed off of a cappuccine monkey (laughs) in the Caribbean. I don't remember if we were in Barbados or we were in St. Kitts. But this guy, you know, we saw this Rastafarian guy and we're like, hey, can we get some marijuana? And he's like, sure. And he sent his monkey to get the, (laughs) we gave the monkey the money. The monkey ran to him and then came back and brought us weed. Oh, it's always the best trying to figure out who's going to score weed first and how whenever you're in (laughs) In another city or another country. It's always a good story. In a new city, you can always find somebody in, in a city, but I mean... You know, when you're in another country, you're like, who do I ask without getting beheaded? You know, because <laughs> you don't know there. I mean, th- I would never try to score drugs in any of those Muslim countries where they just lock you up for forever. <laughs> like, th- uh, like in, in the Pacific, what's the country? It's uh, not Tahiti. Maybe it is Tahiti. Like Tonga? Tonga. No, I, I'll be drug free. It's all good. You know, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not a huge, I smoke pot to fall asleep, to be honest with you. But anyway, and, and to be happy. But, <laughs> okay, so it. The, the uh, I want to talk about, do you guys, when you work on a show like a Paradise Hotel or any kind of a hookup show, how much are you allowed to do to try to get them to, because, you know, here's the thing. We have to produce people, audience, so, yeah. you know, we have to, your boss will say, go produce them. And what that means is make them talk to each other, throw out some suggestions for conversation or give them something, you give them something so that something happens because we don't want to shoot nothing. Because I tried to get a job and I have tried every single year and I don't think they make it anymore because I've contacted the production company every year. I want to work on foursome so bad. (laughs) Well, you know, the shows all depend as to whether or not there's a game element because if there's a legit game, you have kind of like game cops, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. who kind of make sure that everything is fair. If the if the show is not considered a game, if it's anything goes, then you can produce, have them say whatever in the hell you want. Okay. You you like I <clears throat> I just worked on a pilot that it wasn't a legit game, so I was able to say to somebody, hey, you know what? There's an, a round of eliminations coming up, and it would really behoove you to choose the girl that you absolutely hate because that's probably going to help you out down the line. Wink, wink. Mm. You can totally do that. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry to dispel any myths out there that some of these shows are legit. Um, Some of them are. Some of them completely are. Uh, Project Runway, Project Runway All-Stars, those shows are legit. Oh, yeah, no, the competition shows are legit. It's it's the ones like, like Foursome is not, you just have to get them to have sex. Yeah, those kinds of things, and usually the people that they tend to cast for those are... Oh, how can I say this? Okay, they're not very smart. No, they're porn star adjacent. Yeah. They want to be porn stars, but they're afraid. So they're like, oh, if I do this reality show for Playboy, because we can't. Oh, this yeah. is one thing that they told me when I interviewed, because I made it far, but then I didn't get the job and I was devastated. I would get to direct them from the truck. <laughs> like, I mean, when I say direct, I mean direct. But I would have to, like, if they were having sex, I'd have to say, can you move a little to the left so the oh. bush is hiding your penis? Oh. <laughs> oh. They had a basket of dildos that they would throw in in the middle of a conversation. What I'm like, show? It's called Foursome. It's on Playboy Channel. Oh, my God. And you get two couples, and you try to get them to have a foursome. And I'm like, what do you mean try? What do I do to try? And they were like, we give them alcohol. We give them sex toys. We give them games, <laughs> sex games to play, like a strip poker type game. 
you know, there's hot tub, there's a hot tub that helps, you know, all that stuff. I was, I, I was dying. I was just like praying. I was lighting candles. Please let me get this job. And I didn't get it oh. because the girl who wanted to hire me got fired. And so they went with a whole different staff. I was devastated, devastated. Uh, sometimes it's great to work on a show like that. I mean, I, I flip flop back and back and forth between I want to work on something of substance to <laughs> I just want to make people fuck each other. <laughs> I don't want to work on anything of substance anymore. I, I only want, I mean, I only want to work on stuff that's comedy related. I want it to be funny. And sometimes shows of substance are, are funny, but I want, I just want to work fun. The only show of substance I want to work on is the one I created that I'm praying sells this year. That's it. <laughs> anything else I want it to be funny, light, campy, you know, pure entertainment. Nothing I'm going to feel shitty about afterwards because I hurt someone's feelings or any of that stuff. Um, I interviewed for Intervention earlier or last year, and I really wanted to work on that, but they went with someone else, fuckers. But, yeah, I really wanted to work on that. I submit my resume almost all the time, and they never hire me. They never bring me in even for But it's always staffed me up. I don't know anybody on the inside. Yeah, I mean, I knew someone on the inside, and it still didn't help. That's the other thing with this business. You can still know every single person involved with the production, and for some reason, they go with someone else. Yeah, like, it's crazy. It. It's the worst. I mean, it's like with Intervention... I even like told him, I'm like, I, I am in a 12 step program. (laughs) (laughs) I go to Al-Anon because I understand codependency and and, and still they didn't, I I was like, I know I won't develop any kind of, you know, because they say that they have shrinks on set that help the producers deal with their issues while watching these addicts and like, you can't stop them when they're using. And I'm like, I won't stop. I've, I've been to Al-Anon. I know how to work the steps. I do. I'm not codependent. I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not going to get attached. Ugh. I know, but that's one of those shows where like you come home after a 16 hour day and you're just white. Oh yeah. But it's, I, I, it would be worth it to me though. Yeah. But then, you know, I also work with cast, so they tend to call all oh, no, same hours here. They, of the day. This is true. This is one thing that I tell my audience. It happens on court shows. It happens on reality shows. Anytime you're dealing with reality people, real people, because actors, they're not, if, if you're working on a show where it's actors, First of all, actors are much more narcissistic and they're more self-involved. <laughs> so they're going to call their agent or their manager or their friends. They're not going to call a producer or a director. Yeah. Whereas when you're on a reality show, they blow your phone up. And they, yeah. you never stop hearing. You never have a moment to yourself unless you're sleeping. And sometimes even then, you can't sleep because you're like, I know my phone's going to ring at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, I got a phone call from two of the kids on Sled Next. It was my first week there. I get a phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning. One of them is frantic because the other guy on the show, his friend, <clears throat> had jerked off to the point where he passed out. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid who was not passed out was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm just like waking up out of a stupor trying to just digest what he just <laughs> said to me. What do you mean he jerked off until you passed out? And I was like, get him to the hospital, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Pull his pants up first. <laughs> uh, it turned out all right, Trevor. Uh, but yeah, you just, the phone calls that you were about to get could be anything. 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 And it has nothing to do with the show. Almost always has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> Never. Their call time, wardrobe, none of that shit. No. It's always something else. How? Okay, let's do uh, Slednecks versus Buckwild. First, what were the challenges of working in such cold weather in, in uh, Alaska? Um, I'm a Los Angeles girl. I am born and bred Los Angelina. And uh, I had a couple of offers to do shows in Alaska before. And I had a preconceived notion, as I'm sure most people do, of what Alaska is about. Just super cold and F you. And I had turned down most opportunities, but this was the same crew that I'd worked with on Buckwild. And half the, the joy of these shows is the crew. So it was the right group of people. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it. It's f- how long? Four months That's in Alaska? That's a long fucking time. Yeah. So you're basically, you're living there. And not only that, but uh, once I signed on, I was the first person hired. So I had to go to Alaska on a scout to find our production office, to find where we're all going to stay as a crew. Uh, so there were some important things that I had to handle when I was out there. And I I'd never driven in snow. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I've never driven in snow either. I'd never driven in snow. I know a lot of you people out there are probably laughing about that, but no, I'm from Los Angeles. It's 70 degrees all the time. Yeah. I had to buy a jacket. <laughs> I had to buy scarves, gloves, all that stuff that you need out there. But I am so in love with Alaska. Wow. So in love with it. It's gorgeous no matter where you go. It's a, it's a postcard. It's beautiful. The people there are very interesting because not a lot of people are from Alaska. A lot of people are running away from things <laughs> in Alaska. 
everybody's got a good story of how they ended up in Alaska. And I really, really liked the place. I fell in love. Wow. Did you meet any Sarah Palin types? No. Did I? No, I mean, we found her house. That was my first thing was to find her house. It was right, right next to the Best Western that I was staying in, uh, in Wasilla. Uh, no, I mean, their politics kind of run all over the map there. Most people just don't care. Right. Uh, but yeah, there were a couple of times people asking me if I voted for Obama, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but no, Alaska was great. Uh, the show, The show was absolute garbage. It just did not turn out well, but... The filming process was phenomenal and just got to see some of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Why did filming, why did it not, why did you not get in the bay what you thought you got in the field? Um, What's happening with a lot of reality shows these days is that crews are sent out into the field without a complete clear-cut idea as to what it is they're supposed to be shooting. And I think a lot of that comes from fear of people at the network level who are afraid to set in stone, here's what the show is supposed to be, and here's my name on this in case it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you have all these network types who are afraid to commit to what the format is because if it sucks, then they lose their job. So you end up with a lot of crews going out into the field, yeah, without this clear-cut idea as to what the show is. You start shooting footage, and you send it back home to post. They start looking at the footage, and they're like, uh, you know, we need to get this, we need to get this. And then we'll ask the question, well, does that mean someone knows what the format of the show is? They'll be like, no, but we probably need you to get this. So you end up shooting hours and hours and hours of footage that never gets used. And then what you end up with is a bunch of pickup shots that you send a crew back out to out to Alaska months after the, the original shoot to get specific bites that they're now gluing together a bullshit story back in post. So all the original stuff that you shot that's got the real emotions and all that gets sent to the side, and you end up sending a crew out just to get a bunch of pickups. That's terrible. It is terrible because pickups, reality cast are not actors. Therefore, when you're asking them to say specific things, it never sounds right 100% of the time. No, it doesn't. And then you have to get them to do it 50 times, and the 50th time it still sounds like shit, so you give up and go, okay. Yeah. Can you exactly. say this now? I want you to say, you know, when Joe, when Joe pissed on the tree, I couldn't believe it. And then they're like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole. Yeah. So sled necks ended up being a bunch of uh, pickups all strung together into uh, 44 minutes. 12 times, 16 times, something like that. Oh, it was, a, it was an hour show. It was an hour-long show. The show was so poorly received, and MTV hated it so badly that they didn't even put it on the on-demand so that people could watch it after its initial airing. Oh, wow. I've never seen that with <laughs> any of the shows I've worked on, which is too bad. The kids were great. It was fun to shoot. Alaska was gorgeous. It was just not, it was just not done properly. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so in, now here's the big story. Audience, I know some of you, I tweeted about it and you were excited. Uh, now, uh, Mickey had a really crazy experience working on one of my favorite shows ever, Naked and Afraid. Now, I'm a huge fan of a lot of reality shows that I have not worked on, that I want to work on. Like, I tried to get staffed on Dancing with the Stars. I was too late this year. Um, <laughs> I love that show. I Actually, I just want to have sex with Val. Somehow, <laughs> I just want to have sex with Val. But um, I, I do, I, there are certain, like, intervention I would kill. To, I'd love to work on intervention. I'd love to work on Hoarders. Um, I know it's gross, but I would, I, it's another form, it's another form of obsessive compulsive disorder. I think it's, I find it fascinating, but I would work on that show because I would find it interesting, but naked and frayed, which I love, yeah. which my friend Gareth told me about it. Cause we're both huge bar rescue fans. And he's like, <laughs> have you seen naked and afraid? I'm like, what the hell is that? Turned it on. It was a marathon riveted, but that's a show I would never want to produce. So when you heard they were staffing, like, how did you? How did you get, did you want to work on that show? I did. And I actually found the listing for that job through a Facebook page. Wow. And called or sent the email, sent an email to the address and got a call back because I like shows that are in the shit. I like to be out in it. Uh, I like to be where it's dirty, filthy, where you need special clothes to do it. And battery when, packs, lots of batteries, yes, <laughs> headlamps because there's yeah. no light sources, things like that. So, um, I remember seeing Naked and Afraid the premiere, it was after Walenda walking across the Grand Canyon. They premiered Naked and Afraid <laughs> right after that. I watched that and I was like, Holy shit, this has to be awful for the producers. I mean, look at this, it's very clear that this is a real show. And that the producers are going to be just as miserable, yeah, almost as miserable as the naked people who are starving and thirsty. 
Uh, so when the opportunity came up, I mean, it scared me first. I was thinking, you know, am I, do I have what it takes to do this kind of thing? Cause it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's physically tough, mentally tough. You have to keep your shit together and it, enough to be able to ask, cast questions. And, and to, you have to keep your shit together to not miss anything that's happening. And it's 24 hours of focus while you're being eaten by bugs, while you're watching out for snakes dropping on top of you. You know, the executive producer had had uh, a, a fur de lance snake bite his foot during a scout and he almost lost his foot. And that was very much in the press. So, you know, I'm thinking, do I have what it takes to go out there and potentially have my foot, you know, taken off? Uh, but uh, interviewed for it, went through about three rounds of interviews, and was uh, chosen to go out to Panama. And it was a little island off of Panama, Isla San Jose. So we flew into Panama, and uh, <clears throat> we had to hop on one of those little tiny planes, the kind where little you... Little puddle jumper. Yeah, and you, we each had to hop on a scale along with our luggage so that the weight of the plane wasn't too much to get us out to this island. Oh, so you might, you were, you were you on like a Cessna or was it an eight seater, 12 seater? It was, I think it was an eight seater and there were six of us on this little tiny plane. Okay. You know, the kind of plane where you're feeling every bump and everything like that. So, I mean, it, I'm down for adventure. So it was fun getting on this little plane, heading out, the adrenaline's pumping. We're like, let's do this. You know, we're flying around the island. There's no sign of humanity anything on this this island it's just green there's a little tiny dirt strip that's where we're landing so we land uh you know and it's um humidity smacking you in the face 95 percent humidity 90 degrees Ugh. you're wearing drip dry clothing because you can't really have too much of your flesh exposed because there's just bugs everything out there wants to eat you uh, for some reason, there's a really nice resort on this little tiny island. Really? Yeah, the guy who owns the island built a really nice resort, and we basically took over the whole resort. They're little individual uh, bungalows that uh, had their version of air conditioning. So the, the lodging for the crew, not bad, actually. Uh, but when it came time to go figure out where the contestants were going to be staying, we had, to do, we had to do some hiking. So we did three days of scouting. Through just gnarly shit. I mean, it's parts of the world that people don't go to, you know? So machetes. You need machetes to get through the stuff. So you guys had tour guides, though, that were locals, yeah? The uh, first two days, we had some uh, some locals who knew how to get around with machetes, kind of had an idea of what we were looking for. But, you know, it's speaking Spanish to these guys, and thank God I speak Spanish because that helped out. But, you know, day two of scouting, we're in this one section. We're trying to figure out their extraction plan because on their last day, they have to, the, the contestants have to uh, maneuver their way through whatever effed up location they're in to get saved. So we have to figure out that path. And so we just head in a direction with no real idea where we're going. And there were some portions of it that were so, that were just a creek running through thick jungle on either side and the water so deep that we had to pull our backpacks off and we're holding them up over our heads and realizing that this water that we're in is a crocodile's home did they warn you of these things ahead of time like here this in this particular uh you know country here's what you're probably going to run up against crocodiles this particular kind of snake this kind of bug did they give you a, just a ballpark ahead of time what you might run into? Well, once we got to the island, they told us about the crocodiles that we needed to keep an eye out for. I mean, I kind of pretty much knew that kind of stuff was, was on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize we were going to be you know, trouncing around in the water that this crocodile regularly used as home. Um, and, you know, the week before we flew out of town, our production manager shows me a YouTube video of a TV crew getting attacked by bees. And he says, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that this is a possibility when we get into Panama. Ha, 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 this will never happen. So we just have a good laugh about that. And then, you know, we're all in Panama. And uh, the hikes for each day were so harsh that I would spontaneously just start puking. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, I made a point of getting into really good shape for this, hiking, all kinds of stuff. And I had my camel back and was staying hydrated and everything you're supposed to do. And just hiking up the side of this mountain, and I just started puking. I've never had that happen to me before. Just could not control it and would have to stop. I just could not believe how physically it was breaking me down so quickly. Wow. So that's day three of our scout. So day by day four, I'm just wiped before even walking into the jungle. And that was the last day of our scout. It was the day that we were supposed to show everybody else who had just come into town 
all the people on fresh legs. Uh, hey, here's what we figured out. We're going to start shooting tomorrow. So And talent was there as well. Uh, talent was there. I had spoken to one of them the night before to get their items because, uh, you know, I'm naked and afraid they can bring items with them, a machete, you know, that kinds of thing. So I had gone, gone over the, the items with one of the cast members. Uh, so on this last scout day, you know, I suit up like normal. I got boots on up to my knees. I got my drip-dry pants. I got drip-dry shirt, uh, leather, thick leather gloves, a hat. So basically nothing of my body is left uncovered except for my face. Let me ask you one quick question before we get into do they, Does the show give you a wardrobe allowance? Because that's, that's expensive outdoor that's No. A, they don't. No. Okay. In reality, we just we kind of all laugh that we have containers that we keep in our garages of like winter wear, jungle wear. See, I have everything but jungle wear. I would think that on something that's got such intense environmental stuff going on that they would go, okay, here's a gift certificate to REI for 300 bucks. Get your drip dry stuff. You would think, but my parents and my friends actually give me those uh, gift cards because they know that I'm always off to somewhere weird. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, okay. so I've always got a gift certificate to Bass Pro Shop somewhere at the ready. Right. Okay, uh, so so you talk to talent, tell them about the items that they can bring, and then you're getting ready to take the fresh legs out to the locations that you guys found. Yeah, it's supposed to be a nice, easy day. It's supposed to be like, here's all the stuff we've scouted. We're just going to give you guys the overview, and tomorrow we get started. So I take my first step into the jungle, and my legs are already quivering. And mind you, when you're in this jungle, it's not like a Disneyland version of a jungle. It's like the palm trees have fronds that hang down with two-inch-long needles sticking out of them. So if you lose your balance and you go to grab one of these things, you get needles shoved right through your hands. Ugh. Or there's just every rock, every vine, everything in that jungle wants to kill you. You never take a steady step. Everything is always about to twist your ankle. So we finally get to the point where they're, we have to shoot their insertion spot and the... Um, in the extraction. So we're showing them in the insertion stuff. Uh, we film it. I do a mock-up of it for the network so that they can send that back to the network, showing them how they would meet each other for the first time, take off their clothes. So we film that part. We go a little further into the jungle. The whole time, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just weaker and weaker because it's just been a hell week. And uh, so I'm bringing up the lead. They're bringing up the rear with our medic, who had also been on every scout prior to that so we're both just exhausted and so our co-ep decided to take this uh group up ahead to show them this cool waterfall that we had seen previously uh so they're up ahead i'm in the rear with a medic i'm about to jump over jump over try to make my way over this giant fallen tree and i feel this buzzing in my right ear and it felt by the sound of the buzzing that it was about the size of a dragonfly mm. so i just kind of swatted it away Continue to try to get over the this this tree. Buzzing comes back. Won't stop. And then it just clicked. It's that light bulb moment. And I just shouted. I looked up and I shouted, bees! And right when I did that, I could see the group that was up ahead of us who had been checking out the waterfall running back our direction, waving their arms around. And I realized they're being attacked by bees. Bees are attacking me. We're fucked. We're fucked. And we're in the middle of this jungle. There's no structure that you can hop into. There's no nothing. There's a little creek that runs down the center of this jungle, and then there's walls of jungle on either side of you. So at that point, it became every man for himself. There were eight of us out there, and the medic at first was paying attention to me and kept trying to shove me under the water that we were both standing in to try to get the bees off me. But he was holding me underwater so long and panicking that I was almost drowning. Oh. So I had to get away from the medic. And so I'm screaming at him in Spanish, no puedo respirar, I can't breathe, which I think in his mind he thought I was having anaphylactic shock. Oh, but it was that like, can happen. Was, yeah, but I was like, I need to get away from you. So I had to get away from the medic. And so at that point, we just all turned and started running towards where we had entered the jungle. But there's no running. It's stumbling. It's stumbling while you're having thousands of bees in your ears, trying to go up your nose, crawling down your shirt. Mm. Uh, early on, there was one point where I tried to shout. And, you know, I tried to scream and I, and I was like yelling at the bees, like, stop. And they flew in my mouth. They were stinging the insides of my cheek. They were stinging my tongue. Oh my God. So I knew I couldn't shout. I couldn't shout for help. So it was just 
slogging through one one uh, pool of water after the next and my boots were taking on water so my boots were getting heavier my backpack was taking on water so my backpack was getting heavier i'm just getting weaker and weaker as these bees i mean they just kept congregating up around my knees and my neck and just would not stop they were crawling into my ear they were stinging inside of my ear and dying inside my ears oh my god they uh, it's just every worst nightmare that you could possibly imagine. And uh, there was one point, I mean, I, there were three specific points where I was very aware that I was, I was fighting for my life, that this was that moment where you're just like, yep, this, I'm here. This is me trying to stay alive and there's nobody that's going to help you. You're in a jungle in the middle of nowhere. Some people know where you are, but they don't know what's happening to you. And when I fell, somehow I fell backwards over some boulders and came up in a pool of water, but my boot had gotten stuck in between these boulders, and I was upside down, so I was underwater. So it was like I, I instantly flashed that movie, 127 Hours, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. This is it. This is it. This is how I go out. And uh, I would try to push my head up out of the pool to grab some wa- to grab some air. The bees would attack my mouth. Oh, my God. Every time i try to come up managed to free my leg and I was like I still have to get up out of this water and the minute I stand up to try to continue making my way out of the jungle bees are there again they're just on me on me on me and I'm just slogging through this thing my legs I remember just swinging my legs around going I can't do this I can't do this and uh fell again somehow I managed to hurl myself up over a giant boulder when I came down into the pool of water below it not hitting my head for some reason I don't know how I didn't knock myself out and just die that way uh the boulders behind me created a little waterfall in between the two boulders and so I put I managed to keep my hat on me somehow pulled the brim down over the top of it and that created like another third fourth wall so that between the waterfall and the uh boulders behind me it created enough of a structure that it kept the bees on the other side of this little tiny wall of water. Mm. But literally those bees were waiting right there because I waited a couple minutes and then stuck my head out. Bees started attacking me again. So I was like, holy shit, I'm going to be here forever. And I was like, okay, the weather is okay, so I can probably sit in this water for a while. But then I felt my body going into shock. Oh, shit. And this is the part that I love telling people. I started puking. I puked up all the breakfast I had that morning. Then I had to shit like nobody's business, man. I had to shit so bad. And you have so many thoughts going through your mind. And the first thought that came to my mind was, you're not supposed to go to a foreign land and shit in their water table. You're just... <laughs> people <laughs> laugh at me when I tell them that. But I was like, you're not supposed to. You can give people dysentery. You're going to start a whole problem. And was, it's like, you know what? I was so uncomfortable. I didn't fucking care. So I pulled my pants down and I shit my brains out inside this little pool of water that I was in. Thank God, the waterfall was moving the water away from me as quickly as it did because yeah. it just gurgled up and I smelled it and I was disgusted, but it was gone <laughs> and sat oh. there for the longest time. I saw one of our crew out in the field trying to make his way back towards us. He got halfway to us, started waving his arms around. I was like, fuck, he's being attacked by bees still. These bees are never going to go away. How long were you in the water? How long you know, do you think I don't you know. I still don't know. I still don't know if it was 30 seconds or if it was 30 minutes. I just don't know. I have a feeling it was somewhere around 30 minutes. Um, oh and uh, finally, the bees just subsided, kind of subsided. They were at least just a few I saw uh, flying around. Uh, then finally, someone from the crew managed to get to me, jabbed an epinephrine shot into my arm, and then I tried to make my way out of the jungle i could see the people behind me who had also been attacked uh, been attacked they were starting to kind of zombie walk towards me we were all sort of making our way out of the the jungle but uh when i first started to get out and tried to stand up i couldn't stand up because my legs were just done and i've never experienced that before where there was just no amount of energy i could put into my legs to make me stand up so i'm just kind of shuffling along the floor of this creek Finally, after a few minutes, I managed to stand up so wobbly, like Bambi, and uh, walking through the jungle, and my foot catches a vine, and I just went over just like a tree with nothing to stop me. I couldn't put my arms down. I just timber. Oh, my God. 
So it's just one indignity after the next. When I finally stumbled out of the jungle into like the triage area where they were checking all of us out, uh, one of the guys rushes up to me and he's like, are, are you okay? And I went, I'm a long fucking way away from okay. He lifts my hair up to start pulling bee stingers out of me and he, he steps back, he's shocked. I was like, I don't know, she's like, what, what? He says, you have bees, dead bees in your ears. Oh, God. So he ran off to get some uh, tweezers so he could pull all the dead bees out of my ears. And I have long hair and a ponytail, so there's just bees all stuck in my hair. There are dead ones stuck in the collar of my shirt. I'm just covered in dead bees. And then again, the shock hits me. I had to shit my brains out again. And it's just a whole group of guys. I didn't fucking care. I just went up behind some bushes and just started shitting my brains out again. It was just awful. I was, uh, I lost... Uh, so much uh, liquid. I was dehydrated. Oh, they I'm put sure. an IV in me. I have a collapsed vein. I was white as a sheet. And then they made the decision that it they needed to medevac me. So they made the decision to medevac me off the island, uh, back to the mainland of Panama. I went to a Panamanian emergency room. That was cool. Uh, got an ambulance ride there and was on a plane the next night back home to Los Angeles. And one thing that you don't know until you experience it, all that poison floating through my body when you're in a plane at 35,000 feet, it all inflames. So really, my hands, I couldn't bend my fingers. My face felt like it was going to explode. I was just hot. I was so hot. I was just so miserable. I was crying on the plane. I looked like a measles victim. And it was right around that time that measles had an outbreak here in L.A. Oh, man. So people were, like, looking at me all kinds of weird. Then when I finally get back to LAX at midnight, you're supposed to put your passport on this little machine that matches your face up to the picture on your passport. And it just started going off. The alarm started going off. Eh, eh, eh. I had to go talk to somebody, and they're like, what the hell happened to you? So I told them the whole story. They're like, yeah, welcome to the United States. <laughs> what, is it weird that they let you fly? Yes. I mean, in hindsight, I probably should have stayed in the hospital a little bit longer, but, I mean, everything worked out all right. Uh, production company took care of me. I got disability. I mean, it was one of the best possible situations for having that happen. I was very well taken care of after, surprisingly. But everything worked out okay. Is kinda. the production company Renegade 83? Yeah, Renegade 83, who prior to Naked and Afraid was known for uh, Blind Date. Yeah, they were known for dating shows, and they did another syndicated one that starred uh, a comedian named Eliza Schlesinger. Yeah. they were. I hear they're really nice people to work for. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I was really bummed that I couldn't continue on with, with Naked and Afraid because I, I, they had, like, future shows that they wanted me to go do. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a badge of courage to, to finish a Naked and Afraid. And I was bummed that I had to puss out and... Almost die. Well, I mean, I would have PTSD. I wouldn't want to do it after having that kind of an experience. I mean, it's just, it's too, it's too, it's too remote. It's too dangerous for me. I, I you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind being in the shit and I think that's fun and exciting. And it's part of what's fun about working in TV is you get to travel places you wouldn't and see things you wouldn't normally yeah. see on a vacation. But at the same time. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm scared shitless of, you know, I mean, listen, I grew up in Miami where we have, if, if I wanted, if I wanted danger, I'd go to the Everglades, you know, we had, a, we had alligators in the canal out in back of our, you know, oh. where we lived. And we used to, as a joke, we would swim across the canal and see who, if anybody would get attacked <laughs> by an alligator. Oh my God. But alligators, they pretty much leave you alone unless you're, you're fucking with them. Like a crocodile or an alligator is really oh. not going to bother you unless you, you know, antagonize them or, or there's babies around or you're threatening them. They're just going to check you out. Oh, I didn't want to even have to deal with that. Um, yeah. Let me add, I ended up with over 600 bee stings, mm. and I am now allergic to bees, and I do suffer from PTSD every time I hear a bee going buzzing in my ear. So that's a little parting gift from the show. I can only imagine. I got bit by a bee for the first time ever here in L.A., uh, and you know exactly where it was, on Venice in front of the CVS in Culver City. <laughs> And I felt something pinch me, and I looked down at my calf, and there's a bee. And I went, bee, bee, bee. <laughs> I started stomping my foot. And there, was, there happened to be a paramedic there. Like, just they were getting something at CVS. And I was like, I was just bit by a bee. Like, I lost my shit. <laughs> and he was like, you're going to be all right. Do you have Benadryl? I'm like, no. He's like, are you allergic to bees? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I lost my – so could you imagine me in that situation? Oh. I would have given up. I would have died. No, these were Africanized killer bees. I don't like, even know what that is. I feel like I have to Google it. What does it mean to be an Africanized killer bee versus being a regular killer bee? Uh, there was something about, I think there was some, 
scientist who decided to breed these Africanized bees with honeybees to try to make the honeybees more productive and efficient. Assholes. But then they escaped. <laughs> these bees escaped, and they've been slowly taking over parts of the planet. And I mean, they've even shown up here in Texas. They've killed people. But they have, uh, like, I'm not afraid of the bees that we have here, the normal daily type bees but these africanized ones their whole reason for living is just to fuck you up and die that's it i mean they send out a pheromone that's like we're being messed with everybody come help it's a big old fight and they will not let up they just keep stinging you and stinging you and stinging you they they die as soon as they sting you but their whole goal is just to fuck you up maybe that's why the wu-tang calls themselves the killer bees oh it was bad i mean i would there's very few people i'd wish a bee attack on there (laughs) probably are a few but uh it is awful well, I'm glad you're alive. Yeah, I am too. So let's end on a high note. How did you end up in the show open for South Park? It's just for the audience to know when you're watching South Park in the show open, there's a, they're, you know, they're panning across a wall and there's framed pictures and then there's this really cute little girl with pigtails making a real fucking pissy face. That's Mickey. <laughs> uh, there's a, I'm, I show up on South Park in a couple of places. I am. Yeah, you played a character, right? Yes, I. I first started out, I'm the Fruits Are Fun Girl. <laughs> I am a poster in Chef's Cafeteria. It's the season that Timmy started. I think it's uh, season five. Timmy. Timmy. So if you look in Chef's Cafeteria when the kids are walking through, they'll flash to this poster up on the wall, and it's a pissed-off little girl, and that's me. And uh, my buddy Eric, Eric Stow, he is one of the producers on South Park, a very good friend of mine. And he saw that picture of me when he came over to visit uh, my house. And he's like, oh, my God, dude, can we use that picture on the show? I was like, oh, my God, dude, yeah, you totally can. Because <laughs> I love South Park. So they made me into a poster. So if you Google Fruits Are Fun Girl on South Park, there's my picture. And then season 13, episode one, the episode's called The Ring. I play Tammy Warner who is Kenny's girlfriend. She's from the only family in South Park that is poorer than Kenny's family. And we become boyfriend and girlfriend, and I ask Kenny to wear a purity ring, uh, but my character was known as a dirty slut who was giving people blowjobs prior to the the, uh, purity ring. And uh, I end up giving Kenny a blowjob and killing Kenny. So I'm one of the few people who's killed Kenny. Wow. Well, you. I mean, it, well, clearly they did not cast you against type. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is basically Mickey. Let's have her play this role. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The character, they kind of drew it a little bit more to look like me, too, once I came in and read for the lines. But watching Matt and Trey do their voices it was one of those breathtaking moments. I got to sit there and watch the two of them go through all their different voices just with rapid fire. And I was just so blown away by it. And then Trey looks at me and he's like, all right, it's your turn. Don't fuck it up. Oh my God. (laughs) No pressure, (laughs) no pressure. But I went in there and and nailed it and they kept me on and and made the part a little bit bigger and then drew the character look a little bit more like me. So I do just, I mean, that's like a moment. That's probably the highest moment of my life right there. That's like dream. That's like dream, dream come true. Oh yeah. I mean, I got to see, I killed Kenny. I think George Clooney and I have that in common. That's amazing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, uh, you're an awesome chick, super smart, super cool, and a survivor. Uh, (laughs) Yes, survivor. (laughs) She's a survivor. Do you have anything you have coming up that you want to plug? or Do I? Man, I wish I had something to say I wanted to plug. You can go check out my website that I am working on. Uh, It's Mickeyavelli, like Machiavelli, but it's Mickeyavelli.com, M-I-C-K-E-Y. A-V-E-L-L-I dot com. Right now it's got my resume and it's got a link to my YouTube page where all my fucked up videos lie. Uh, So go check that out. Yeah, check it out. She's uh, super talented and awesome and um, you're going to be a better person for knowing who she is. 